Hi, my name is John Wright. Hi, I'm Debbie Wright, and together we have the privilege of leading Trent Vineyard. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this recording. Back in 1996, we arrived in Nottingham knowing that God had called us to plant a church with a specific vision and certain values, and we spent our first four meetings sharing this vision with a group of about 40 people who had come. Over the next hour, you'll hear snippets from the original recordings of those meetings, alongside our reflections from the present day. The sound quality of the recordings isn't brilliant, and I might not say everything now in the way I said it in 1996, but I hope you'll enjoy listening and get a feel for how Trent Vineyard began and why we do many of the things we do. And we hope that this recording will be a helpful tool for you as you consider if Trent Vineyard is the church family God is calling you to be a part of. Originally, I used an analogy to describe the vision of the church that we think is still helpful to those exploring whether to join us. Here's how I explained it. If you want to look at the the overall vision, the overall, well, the church that we hope to establish, you could compare it to a bus. And the direction we travel is determined by the sign on the bus. And what we want to do really in these four weeks is make the sign on the bus very clear to you as you're thinking through whether you're joining us or not. And there are quite a number of good buses all over Nottingham. They're different colours, they're different sizes, they have different signs on the front, they all have different interiors, but as far as I know, no bus is any better than any other bus. They're all different, and it's really helpful to know what the sign is on the front to make sure you're on the right bus for you. So the bus we're on, broadly, is the vineyard, or the fleet of buses, I suppose, will be the vineyard. And the particular route we'll take, the particular sign on this bus, is the Trent Vineyard, and uh, it'll be different inevitably from every other vineyard. I mean, some of you may have been to one before or you've got friends who may be at one. Every vineyard is different, just as every church is different, of whatever denomination. And because the church reflects to some extent the personality of the leaders of that church and the personality of the people, especially the foundational people in it. And there are things that the Lord has put on our hearts that we'll talk about, and you'll, some of you will say, yep, that's me, that is what the Lord has put on my heart. That's what I want to do, that's what I want to devote my life to, that's the church I want to be at. We hope it'll be comfortable, but it will be uncomfortable at the same time. This is going to be a challenging ride, because um, we don't want to stay where we are. We want to be people who are changing, and we want to be embracing whatever the Lord brings us. So there's one thing that is going to be constant around here, and that is change. Change is here to stay. We will be changing. The Vineyard Movement began in the late 70s. In California, a number of Christians from Calvary Chapel started meeting together in someone's house. Feeling somewhat dry and tired, all they wanted to do was worship God simply with an acoustic guitar in their voices. They began to sing affectionate and simple songs to Jesus, songs like, I love you, Lord, and they discovered that the Spirit of God became most tangibly present when they sang songs of intimacy. Through praying for one another, reading the Bible, weeping together and singing these songs, they were slowly revived, all in the presence of the Holy Spirit. These meetings grew way beyond the space they had, and eventually the Anaheim Vineyard was formed with John Wimber as their pastor. The church grew to be in the thousands, leading to numerous church plants and ultimately the global movement that we know today. At the time of the original recordings, there were around 600 churches in the Vineyard Movement, 27 of which were in Britain. As of May 2019, when this update was recorded, there are around 3,000 Vineyard churches spanning nearly 120 countries, with the UK and Ireland having around 130 Vineyard churches. So how did we become involved? Well, to explain this, we have to go a bit further back, as John shared in the original recordings. 
before we got married, in our teen years, both of us had been brought up as Christians. Debs is a daughter of His Grace the Bishop. But, and I had been brought up in a Christian home, but really we'd both, through peer pressure, through, through being worn out with uh, disillusion with the church, ritual and religion and a certain lack of reality for us, we had sort of both drifted away. And so we were still attending church and looked like Christians, but we were not living a life worthy of being called a Christian. Our discipleship had gone way up the pole. Um, and during really our student years, we were sporadically sleeping together, sporadically, you know, repenting of that and spending a bit of time not doing it and then back into it and all that. And really, you know, in a terrible place, the only prayer we prayed for years, as I went to sleep, I just say, just pray, sorry, Lord, knowing that the next day I was going to do exactly what I had been doing. And it really was not an enjoyable place to be, you know, a rough time really for a number of years. And in 1981, John Wimber, as it happened, he was coming to see David Watson in York, and David, Deb's father heard about this and so called up John and said, well, look, we're near Heathrow Airport. Why don't you stop off for a couple of days on the way to York? And so um, if you've, has anyone ever read Power Evangelism? It describes in there that that weekend was the most powerful thing they had ever seen ever before. And basically, um, <laughs> the power of God swept through the place. Somebody jumped out of a wheelchair. Somebody who was blind saw, and it was just incredible. So Deb's father calls her up and says, this has just happened. And immediately, it was like reality. There's something exciting again about you know, the Lord and what he's doing. And so Deb began to pray for people at college, and uh, that was pretty good. About nine months later, he came again, 1982. And I was, as I say, working in Banbury. This is before we married. I wanted to be at the meeting. But as I hitchhiked down, I was walking the last couple of miles to the meeting. And I realized that I was about to meet the Lord in a way that I hadn't heretofore met him, in a tangible way. But I said to the Lord, this is my prayer, I said, tonight is the night I'm coming back. Tonight is the night I'm going to stop worrying. And as I went to that meeting, I'd never seen anything happen, you know, powerful before. But uh, at some point, I just stood up, I just raised my hands like this, and suddenly, every muscle in my body started to bounce up and down. My legs, you know, my thigh muscles. And uh, Debs was sitting next to me with her bridesmaid-to-be, and uh, she sort of pulled my sleeve. She said, what's happening to you? So uh, I said, oh, I don't know, it feels okay. So I put my hands up again and just shook again for another half hour. And really, and then Debs went down the front and got um, prayed for as well and ended up on the deck. And it was, that was a, a profound evening for us in changing the course of our life. Not too long after that evening, Debbie and I were married and living in Nottingham where we had established a jewellery business. Debbie and I quickly came to love the vineyard and we participated in every renewal conference, whether big or small, that John Wimber spoke at in Britain. Over the next few years, we felt the call to some kind of church leadership begin to grow. There was just one problem. John Wimber had said that there were to be no vineyard churches in Britain. He believed that church planting should be reserved to North America and Canada, while the vineyard's role was to bring renewal to the established churches elsewhere. With that door closed, I explored ordination in the Church of England, and throughout the selection process, I honestly prayed that I would only be accepted if that was what God desired. As it turned out, in December 1986, I was rejected. Just a month later, we were due to travel to New Zealand with a team from St Andrew's Chorley Wood, the church that David Pitches, Debbie's father, pastored. The return flight involved a stop in Los Angeles, so we asked John Wimber, through David, whether we could visit his church for a couple of days. In response, he said, oh, why don't you come for a couple of months? 
We gave up our jobs and went, and amazingly, during that two months, the decision to not plant vineyards in Britain was reversed. John Mumford, a Church of England minister, along with Eleanor, his wife, had been at Anaheim Vineyard feeling called to plant a vineyard in England and were then released to plant the first vineyard in the UK, the Southwest London Vineyard. Meanwhile, our two months stay in Anaheim turned into almost eight months. We joined the staff team and were trained as intern pastors. We decided to come back with the Mumfords to serve them and learn as much as we could from them with a view to planting ourselves in Nottingham after a couple of years. I went to Bible college, but despite John Mumford having released us to leave whenever we felt that God was speaking, the timing never seemed right, and we stayed for nine years. During our eighth year in London, something terrible happened. Debbie was driving a friend and her children to church when they were involved in an accident, and one of the children was killed. This became an incredibly difficult time for us. Yet not long afterwards, Debbie began to have a real sense that it was time to return to Nottingham. However, it seemed to me that the Lord had clearly told us to wait. Despite my heart urging me to go, I resolutely decided that we should stay until God definitely told us otherwise. It's safe to say that we reached something of an impasse, as I described in the original recording. We got into some fairly deep conflict just at Christmas time about whether we should be going or not. And uh, it came to a point where I just said to the Lord, Lord, would you please speak to me? Now I'm hard of hearing, but would you please speak to me and make it clear that we're supposed to go? Or speak to John Mumford, or speak to Debbie about not going, you know, calm her down. Now, just a matter of days later, John Mumford calls out and says, can I come and see you? So he came around in the morning, and we sat there, and he said, okay, well, I think we need to talk about the unthinkable. The Lord has made such an issue of this for the priest, you know, the last few weeks, let them go. It's time for them to go, let them go. And uh, he said, I have to let you go. And I have to initiate this decision, I have to initiate this plan, because I know you won't. You know, it wasn't a particularly convenient moment for him, but he just said, the Lord has compelled me to do this. Now, despite having made the decision to go and John Mumford releasing us, we still asked the Lord for direct confirmation that Nottingham was indeed where he wanted us to go. Incredibly, within three weeks, we had six absolutely specific prophetic words from people who didn't know about our plans, confirming that Nottingham was the place. In the original recordings, I shared about one moment when God spoke that was particularly significant for me. I remember early on when the Lord had you know, released us to go, and we were in our old house, and I was just going, I went downstairs at three o'clock in the morning, and uh, it was pitch black, and uh, I had to turn a little lamp on, and I was sobbing about leaving Southwest London, because I, and although I knew God was calling us to come, it was just the grief of leaving this church that we had helped to, to plant, and I'm really sobbing about, you know, all of that, and suddenly I sort of, I felt, I was looking out from a window over, a, a city or, you know, houses, with, and, and there were these lights coming on. And the Lord said to me, there are people right now crying out for a vineyard, and I have chosen you to be instrumental in being the answer to their prayers. And our bedroom window at night, as I look out, I look over West Bridget, and I look out into the city, and you see, you know, lights on, and it, that, that's that, that picture the Lord gave me. Ahead of those first few meetings as Trent Vineyard, we drafted a vision statement, which, with a couple of words being changed, has remained the same to this day. This is how I introduced our vision in 1996. God has called us to establish a growing, regional, biblically-based church in Nottingham, 
which will, in a creative and contemporary way, in the power of the Holy Spirit, worship God and communicate the gospel with compassion and with mercy. We aim to make, train and equip disciples to be effective in the extending of God's kingdom, to develop leaders, to plant new churches and to contribute to the blessing of the whole body of Christ. Now it wasn't deliberate when we wrote it, but I noticed that the statement begins with God and it ends with Christ. That's what it's all about. That is who it's all about. That's everything we want to do here is in response to the Lord's initiation. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to go through and comment. First of all, God has called us. This is not an idea that Debbie and I have. This was not like a promising business proposition, like here's a model of church life we think could work maybe in Nottingham. Why don't we move up there and have a go at it? It was not our idea that we came. We have no doubt whatsoever that we are called to this place at this point in history. God has called us to do this thing. A growing church. If something is healthy, it'll grow. Anything which is alive and is healthy will grow quantitatively and qualitatively. If you take a healthy child or a healthy plant or a healthy business, and it'll grow. Now, we can't make a church grow. Every night, you know, we'll do our very best, but we can't do it. There's nothing we can do to make a church happen. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 6 Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but God who makes things grow. It is God who grew the Corinthian church, not Paul or Apollos. As it said in our vision statement, it was our prayer that Trent Vineyard would be a regional church. By this we meant that we would not simply impact a small geographical area as a local parish church might. Instead, we believe that God wanted us to impact the whole city and even beyond it by drawing people from all over the region and then commissioning them out to their own streets and neighbourhoods. Looking back now, it is truly remarkable to see just how much the Lord has done. We are indeed a regional church with almost 2,000 children and adults coming to our Sunday services each week from all over Nottingham and well beyond. In the original recording, I then began to explain further aspects of the vision statement. Okay, we want to be a biblically-based church. We're always going to teach from the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed, is beneficial for everything, teaching, rebuking, exhortation, life. The Bible is God's revealed word. We hold it very highly. It's our plumb line in everything we do. What does the scripture say? The Bible says this, we'll do that. And when we teach on a subject, when I teach on a subject, if the Bible is clear on it, I will teach you that without apology. What the Bible says, I will teach you. If the scriptures are not clear on it, I won't. I will tell you what the scriptures say. Uh, I may tell you what I think, but I'll leave you to make your own mind up. In a creative and contemporary way, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, everything we do, we want to be in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need his anointing in worship. We need his anointing when we teach, when we pray, when we minister uh, to each other, and when we minister outside the church to the wider community. We need his guidance, we need his initiation in everything we do. And the Holy Spirit is completely welcome here to do whatever he wants to do. If it's clear you know, during worship that we should go on, because the Lord has suddenly visited in an amazing way, we'll go on. But we want to follow what the Lord is doing, uh, using a bit of common sense. In the mid-80s, the message that the vineyard John Wimber was bringing to Britain was this. God wants his church back. God wants to take back his church. And so um, we want to keep our hands off what he wants to do in this church, but as much as we can, we're wanting to uh, follow him. We want the power of the Spirit to be manifest in the Trent Vineyard. In the meetings, outside the meetings, at work, wherever it happens to be. Debs was on the phone to Eleanor, and uh, last week they had a women's conference in Southend, at the Southend Vineyard. Two women, apparently, 
received hearing in the most incredible way. I think one of them had never heard before, and she was in tears with a shock of hearing sound. If the Lord would do that, if we'll take risks, we'll step out and, and pray for people. We want to be naturally supernatural. Not so spiritual that we're, someone said, no earthly good. We want to have our feet firmly on the ground and our spirits in contact with the Lord and, and be naturally supernatural. You can, like, you, know, you can be chewing gum if you want while you minister in power. In a creative and contemporary way to worship God. We want to keep moving. I said last week, talked about music. We, we anticipate there'll be songwriting going on in this church. Down the track, maybe we'll do some recording, make albums. Who knows you know, where this goes if we have the people with the skills. Um, our presentation... Worship in its broadest context, just doing church. In our presentation, we want it to be creative and contemporary. In the way we dress, uh, in the building that we use, we want that to be contemporary. We want our worship to continue to be creative, to push the development. Creative and contemporary. I said last week that Deb and I are both artists or designers. I'm a three-dimensional designer by, by training, and that extends to everything too. Ah, we can create something new, as opposed to just what was done before by somebody else. And when Martin Luther wrote his hymns back in the 16th century, the hymns that we hold on to so preciously now as being traditional brilliant hymns, they were the songs he went around and listened in the bars there. They were singing, roll out a barrel or whatever it was, the contemporary thing, rugby songs. Took that tune, scored it out, and wrote new words to it, and put that into the church. It was a big you know, fury about how did you do this. But that's what he did in that day. He was totally up to the minute, Martin Luther. When John Wimber began the movement in the mid-70s, uh, he took the musical style of the day and put words to it. We're now into the 90s. We're now into the second half of the 90s. We just want to do something that is a little more contemporary. It's just it is a, a broadly acceptable style of worship that has not got left behind in years past. And we'll see how that goes as we develop. God is totally creative and he's totally relevant and I believe we need to continue to seek to find in contemporary music which this generation will relate to and progressively just adapt our music as time goes by. I'm assuming and hoping that the music that our children worship to when they reach our life stage will be totally different to what we're doing today. The famous last words of a dying church, we never did it that way before. Okay, creative and contemporary. There are multiple thousands of people in Nottingham who are, whether they know it or not, looking for the Lord and when they find him, they want a church which is relevant to them. Many who are under 30 who were brought up in churches, they have left the church when they reached a certain life stage in their teens or whatever, and they've never gone back. They're, they're knocking around, multiple thousands of them, who would, would, would embrace the Lord again, would come back into fellowship, they would only find one that was relevant to them. Debs and I have a passion to reach those, to reach anyone, but particularly those younger than ourselves. I'm 36, we want to impact the generation coming up after us. The Lord will bring us people of every age. Let me just make this clear. He already has. At whatever life stage you're at, you're completely welcome. If you stay around for a long time, you'll find you're young at heart. But you're completely, doesn't matter what age and life stage you're at, you know, we do want to impact the people who are not being impacted by the church uh, at large. We want to have a thriving children's ministry, a brilliant children's ministry. When we do it, we want to do it really well. We will, in due course, when we get some youth, do a brilliant kicking youth ministry. But I suspect we'll also provide a place where people in their 20s can get excited about church, drawn in, discipled, trained to impact their generation for Christ, but to develop leaders in that generation who will lead their contemporaries and so on. Okay, in a creative and contemporary style to communicate the gospel, we want to be creative to pioneer things. Let's be relevant rather than relying on models that worked last decade or the one before the one before. In London, we've done all sorts of daft things just in terms of making relationships and changing the culture's expectation. The church has a reputation. 
if people bump into the church, they expect someone to shake a little collection box at them. Please give us some money to build our church spire or to do this or to do that. So we just thought, well, why don't we just reverse that? Why don't we just go and give stuff to people? So on, on Mother's Day, we gave out little chocolate. Uh, on Valentine's Day, chocolate hearts. On Easter, chocolate eggs. Since the small beginnings of handing out chocolates and raking leaves, we've found so many ways of creatively communicating the gospel. Every small group has a Blessing the Community budget and is encouraged to use it in creative ways to express God's love generously. We've seen many acts of service like decorating, garden projects and visiting retirement homes. At one point we sent 60 groups out into the city to do various projects in one week. It's been remarkable to see the innovative ways God has prompted us to communicate the gospel. When sharing the gospel, we've sought to do this in a culturally accessible way. Importantly, this differs from maintaining political correctness. John spoke about this in the original recordings. As a community of believers, part of the way that we communicate the good news of Jesus is how we do church. Okay? We want people who have never heard of God, right through to those who've known him all their lives, to feel comfortable here. But we want to remove barriers that make people feel uncomfortable that aren't necessary. So if the cross is a stumbling block to them, If the radical demands of the gospel put them off, that's fine. Without apology, we'll preach the gospel. We'll model the gospel. But we don't want to put them off by what we do or what we don't do. We want to be relevant to the people in what we do. We want to be culturally relevant. That's not the same as it's politically correct. There's, There's a culture that's moving in that direction. We're not taking on those parts of our culture which water down what we believe. You can't be, I believe, politically a politically correct Christian. Christianity by its very nature stands out from the culture in which we live. Christianity, by the fact that you believe what you believe is true, is politically incorrect in today's culture. Ideological relativism. Doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about it. It's a complete nonsense. It's a deception that has swept this country. And you talk to, I've talked to students about it. I've talked to sick formers about This is the spirit of the age. You don't believe in objective truth. Uh, you believe in any view is valid as long as you hold it. And they say, yeah, absolutely. What's wrong with that? You can't be politically correct, but we're going to be culturally relevant. We've done many different things over the years so that a whole variety of people can experience God's presence and meet with his church, both on the streets and at the warehouse. We remain committed to being an outward-looking church and are always looking for creative and fresh ways to share Jesus with our city in a way that's culturally accessible. Currently, we have teams sharing Jesus with people on the streets using resources like Jesus at the Door, The Miracle Question, and Healing on the Streets. These provide opportunities to communicate the gospel to those who might never come to one of our Sunday services. And the teams regularly find that people respond positively when they offer to pray for them. Every year we run Alpha courses where people get the opportunity to explore questions of faith over a number of weeks with a delicious free meal. We hold multiple baptism services each year And these services are great opportunities for those who don't know Jesus to be invited and hear many wonderful testimonies of how God changes people's lives. Our largest events of the year are our carol services, at which we welcome thousands of people and share the Christmas message in a really accessible way. Of course, to truly communicate the gospel, we must use actions in addition to our words. I emphasize this in the original recording. Communicate the gospel with compassion and with mercy. Communicating the gospel includes all the good news, as well as witnessing to the message of Christianity includes feeding the hungry, it includes visiting prisoners, caring for the elderly, ministering to the sick, setting 
free people free of their demons if they're so afflicted, embracing the outcasts, ministering to those who are hurting, and so on. Since the beginning, an important aspect of our outworking of compassion as a church has been our set-apart fund. Before the church began, we made the decision to set apart 20% of the church's income to be given away or spent on things and activities which benefit those outside of our church. In 2008, we increased that to 22%. Through the years, this set-apart fund has allowed us to resource numerous compassion ministries, both in Nottingham and further afield. This includes the Arches, which is our practical resource centre for those in need in Nottingham. For the clients who come to the Arches, we provide furniture, children's clothing, children and baby equipment, emergency food, household goods, and also community and support. Alongside the Arches, we help coordinate the weekly soup run to feed those sleeping rough in Nottingham. We've helped provide short-term accommodation for those at risk of homelessness through partnering with the charity Nottingham Nightstop, and for many years provided housing for vulnerable women through the work of Cedar House. Additionally, we invest our set-apart fund in our partner charities like Love the One, an organisation that actively seeks to care for marginalised children in India. When we look back, we are amazed at the depth and breadth of ways we've been able to follow Jesus' instruction to make disciples and to care for the broken and the needy in our city and beyond. The next aspect of our vision statement from 1996 related to discipleship. We aim to train and equip disciples. I talked last week, Ephesians 4, 12. Our job is to equip you to grow as disciples, to do the work of the kingdom. We'll do things like Alpha courses and the places where people can think through the Christian faith as they come in. And, but disciples doesn't stop at decisions. We want disciples, not decisions. And so just because you've been a Christian a while doesn't mean you stop being disciples, stop growing as a disciple and uh, developing a relationship with God through house groups and all sorts of other ways. Now what we're looking for, as I said, is activists. We're looking for disciple workers, worker disciples. We're not looking for Bible knowers or wholeness seekers or a whole load of other things that some churches may, you know, may be facilitating uh, much better than we would ever do. We're looking for worker disciples, people who will roll their sleeves up, metaphorically or not, and get their hands dirty, ministering the power of the kingdom. We want to grow in spiritual gifts, we want to grow in prophecy and healing and miracles and all sorts of things. We want to provide a safe place where you can make mistakes uh, and uh, you can, we'll pick you up and you can carry on and try it again and again. The final part of our vision statement is to contribute to the blessing of the whole body of Christ. We've always been aware that Trent Vineyard is just a small part of the global church. We want to bless and celebrate all that God is doing through other churches in Nottingham and around the world. We are not competing with one another, and we know that other churches may emphasise different things, but together we will see God's kingdom impact the people in our cities. From the start of this church, it's been so important to us to seek to be a blessing to other churches and to live with that attitude of blessing towards one another. It's been our joy as a church to build relationships with other churches through serving the poor together, contributing substantial amounts to enable other churches to buy buildings and praying and worshipping together, both on a small and large scale. We believe, as it says in Psalm 133, where there is unity, there the Lord commands a blessing. Unity is important across the whole body of Christ, as well as within our individual churches. So that's the summary of our vision for Trent Vineyard, which defines what we are called to do as a church. 
Throughout the years, we found it useful to develop language that helps describe how we do those things. We call these our hallmarks, which are servant-hearted, outward-looking, compassionate, generous, doing things well, relational, and naturally supernatural. Back in 1996, we also used the language of values to describe those things we held to be important and which underpinned our expression of who we are as a church. Here are the first two of our values. The first one that we value is the pursuit of God. Personal relationship with Him. We're hungry to know His presence. We're, we're following hard after Him. Really our understanding of Christianity is it's not a Sunday thing. It's not going to church and filling pews and trying to create an exciting Sunday experience for you. Christianity, and really our, the way we understand all this thing, is the pursuit of God, just hard after God, spending time with Him, seeking Him, finding out what He wants us to do and so on. Secondly, being led by the Holy Spirit. Some of you are currently considering this whole thing. You're saying, Lord, what is it that you want? I want to, if, if the Holy Spirit wants me to make this move, that's what I'll make. And if He doesn't, then I'll, I'll stay where I am or I'll go somewhere else or whatever. Um, so we're trying to hear what the Lord is saying, figuring out what He means us to do. Jesus is the head of the church. And rather, rather than, as we run church, rather than sort of doing things, planning things, putting things together, and then asking the Lord to bless it, you know, at the end of our meeting, we're seeking to be responsive to Him. Say, Lord, what is it you want us to do? And how do you want us to do it? And then try and put feet on that. And constantly listening to him and, and open to changing it if he does something different, which you probably already picked up. Throughout the life of our church, God has led us at various significant junctures through speaking to us in our own personal walk with him. He has also given us clear direction through people speaking prophetically into our situation who have no idea about what we are going through. The next value we mentioned was prayer. Prayer is essential, and as I put it in 1996, is God's primary means of accomplishing his purposes in the world. He invites us to join him in what he's doing by praying for people, for his church, and for Nottingham. Prayer is also our main way of communicating with God. Everything we've done throughout the years and continue to do today, we aim to cover in prayer. Fourthly, we value relationships. Relationship with him, also relationship with one another. And it, as we relate to one another, our belief is that we should be adult-adult in whatever we do, um, dealing honestly and openly. The fifth thing we value is discipleship. I mentioned before, we're, we're obeying the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, and our particular part in that is to make disciples in this region. Um, and then as disciples to continue to grow, to continue to be disciples. So the equipping of the people of God, which is our primary job, goes on and on at every stage. Um, of discipleship so the the things that we preach on the things that we teach on the things that we do will be constantly discipling um, our goal is to be conformed to the likeness of Christ and that's a work that the Lord does by his spirit in us and it's also a work that the church does in, in giving us opportunity to grow we value being real uh, we aim to walk in the spirit and see real supernatural works of God. And as I said, you'll find that we're very, very pragmatic and down-to-earth, feet-on-the-ground kind of people, as well as being open to the Spirit and listening. The environment we want to create here is one that is not manipulative. We don't want to manipulate and make something happen here by sort of cranking the handle and like lowering the lights and playing another worship song really fast and really slow. We'll just pray and then we'll start worshipping and we'll hope that between you and the Lord you can, you can raise the roof if you wish. 
dance if you wish, you can lay on the floor if you wish. But, you know, it's not one that we're going to try and manipulate and create some sort of atmosphere. We just want to be real. If it's happening, it is. If in the ministry time, the Lord apparently does not turn up, then we'll uh, have coffee and go home, whatever. We're not going to try and, you know, crank that handle. We want to do nothing for religious effect, but rather operate in a natural, natural low-key way with a marked absence of hype. Another outworking of this being real is being real. Um, not putting on anything, not having all these um, airs and graces, but just being yourself. And if life is bad, then you say it's bad. If, if you don't really believe that, you don't really say that, you know. Okay, so just being real. Another one of the values that John talked about, which has now become one of our hallmarks, is doing things well. We believe that when God does something, he does it really well. As his church, we want to be like him in doing things well, in a way that pleases him and seeks to communicate that God cares deeply about people. It affects the way we put on an event, the way we do ministry. We want everything that we do to be of excellent quality, whether it's training kids or an alpha course or simply setting out chairs for a Sunday service. Another hallmark, being servant-hearted, was also mentioned in 1996, which highlighted the fact that in order for the church to establish a servant-hearted culture, it needed to be embraced and modelled by leaders. We believe in servant leadership. To be called to lead is to be called to serve. You'll find that the person uh, in your house group who's probably serving the hardest is the person leading it. Leading should be exercised with humility, with selflessness, with grace with care and a sincere desire to build up the body of Christ. Jesus talked about the rulers of the Gentiles lording it over them and throwing their weight around. You know, I have the authority here and you must do what I say. Um, they were leading, but they were leading in the way of the world. They were not serving it. Jesus said, no, if you're going to lead, you're going to serve. I've come not to be served, but to serve and give my life. And if you're a leader, that's what we believe is what you should do. To lead is to serve. And as a result, you know, there is no task that is below the dignity of a leader. If you're a leader, you have ownership of and care for a flock of people. And if the losers are disgusting, someone needs to clean them. If you've got time, you do it. If not, you delegate it. But there's nothing that um, we wouldn't do. So, you know, the person setting the chairs out uh, tonight was probably one of the potential leaders amongst you. Leadership is more functional than positional. Um, we're not very big on titles. Uh, nor are we very big on sort of visible leaders. Very often, you know, some of you will lead, and much of the church won't know that you're leading in that given area. You happen to be, you know, taking food out on the street. You're leading that area of ministry, but other people may not be all that aware of it. If you look over your shoulder and there are people following, then you're a leader. So, you know, uh, it's more functional than positional. It's not a position. Since the beginning, we wanted Trent Vineyard to be a community where everyone could get involved and be welcome, including children. We value children. They're our present blessing and our future hope. We value them not just for our future hope, but we value them for who they are now. If you have a two-year-old, it's not like, oh, look, there's a potential adult, but uh, for who they are as a, one of God's creation. They deserve the same quality of nurturing and care as we give adults. Now, when we do go to Sunday mornings, we will have a number of age groups, the biggest of which will be the sort of 17 to 80 age group. Just so happens there's more people usually in that group, and so we use the biggest room. And we'll do church appropriate to that age group. But if you're in the three- or four-year-old age group, then we'll do church appropriate to three- and four-year-olds. We'll do church probably from the beginning to the end, rather than kids in for worship. We're going to just 
do church for them. It's going to be absolutely brilliant. Over the last 23 years, we've seen this vision realised with Trent Kids and Trent Youth, which are thriving ministries. Since 2008, the church has given generously to enable us to build a youth centre and a kids centre, giving those age groups their own space where they can make a lot of noise, have fun, and grow in their faith with input relevant to their age. Both those buildings exist because the church has been extraordinarily generous. Generosity has long been a value and a hallmark of Trent Vineyard. I explained it this way in 1996. Generosity. We value generosity. We value giving. Giving of our time, our energy, our money, of living a life based on generosity. As uh, We're called to be generous people, <clears throat> to be open-handed people. And if you're open-handed, you give, but you can also receive. So just generous in the way we do things. And so as people come to this church and become committed to it, Time, energy, and money is a natural progression, at least as we see it, uh, generously giving. And really that, um, that attitude of generosity, we hope, will sort of just knock on in the whole of life. You know, you can turn up to a party with a can of Coke, sneak into the kitchen and kind of tuck it there, can't you? Or you can bring a nice cake or a bunch of fudge that you've made and, you know, five cans. You're only going to drink about two of them. But it's an attitude that um, the church needs to be generous in giving away. If you're generous, you'll receive much more than you're giving. And lastly, we value the priesthood of all believers. It's a rather technical term. Uh, really, Martin Luther back in the 1500s sort of rediscovered it. The church had forgotten because they were looking at the priesthood of the priests. And the priests had to say prayers for this, that, and the other. And they had to pay loads of money to have the priests do, you know, um, services for the dead and all sorts of weird things. Martin Luther rediscovered we have a personal relationship with God. We don't need to go through anybody else. We want to give people room to hear directly from God themselves uh, rather than imposing our own advice. And that would apply for us as leaders, but also like in a house group or whatever, someone shares about something, we're not quick to like jump in with advice. Uh, rather, we'll pray for them and help them to, to work it out for themselves between them and the Lord. We also believe ministry is accessible to all believers, men, women, and children. We had a, in a kids' group a three-year-old they were praying for people, praying, for, and the teacher had a bad back. And before she knew it, he got up on a chair, and he put his hand on her back, and he said something really simple, like, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And she, as far as I'm aware, her back was healed. Her symptoms disappeared instantly. A three-year-old. We hope we'll be able to train every age to minister and to have access to God. One phrase we love to use to capture the essence of this is, everyone gets to play. We've seen thousands of people serve in a host of different ways. A few years ago, someone calculated that the total number of hours that our church has given to serving in and through our ministries, it came to almost 200,000 voluntary hours a year. That's a lot of serving. There are so many ways to get involved and use your talents and gifts on Sundays and throughout the week, and we encourage everyone to find somewhere to serve. Now the final part of the original recordings were about our priorities. Our first priority is worship. We exist primarily uh, as a people of worship and uh, our highest priority is just expressing God's love back to him. One of the words, the Greek and Hebrew words throughout the Bible that are used mean a whole lot of things that are translated worship because we have such a, a dearth of words. That's a long word, isn't it? A dearth of words that mean worship in the English language. We've got worship or worship basically. But there are a whole load of them in the Greek and Hebrew language. And one of them can be translated to come towards, to kiss. It's a very intimate thing to worship the Lord 
and we're invited into the throne room, not just as spectators, but we're invited in as Christ's bride. And so we expect it to be an intimate thing to worship. We have an interactive God, and he interacts with us. And as we reach out and touch him, he very often responds. And so you may have an experience in worship of meeting the living God, his presence of his spirit ministering to you. And so it can be a life-changing experience. Some of the very deepest times with the Lord, for me, uh, have been times of corporate worship. But remember this, worship is Godward. It is directed towards God. Worship the Lord your God with all your heart, we're commanded to do. And so we don't sing songs so that we can have a good worship time. We sing songs so that he will have a great worship time, so that the Lord will experience, we're blessed really by what we do. Worshipping the Lord through song remains a crucial part of our Sunday services and is something that we seek to include in our small groups, courses, almost whenever we meet together. Worship leaders have been developed within Trent who have written beautiful songs, released worship albums and led intimate worship times right across the country and internationally. Secondly is fellowship. It flows out of worship. Fellowship essentially is expressing our love, uh, or God's love, to each other. And as we come to whatever context it is within the church and take off our church masks, our victorious Christian persona, and be real, being to open and be real with each other, we'll grow. The most effective place to grow, in my opinion, is in a small group. We've watched people in our church, you know, the last church we were in, southwest London, just change and grow, and uh, grow in maturity, grow in confidence, grow in their faith, grow in their gifts, grow in their ministry ability. And much of that really has been directly attributable to their experience in the small group of being accountable, of sharing, of taking a risk with um, praying for someone, taking a risk with prophesying, taking a risk with going and doing some servant evangelism and giving some stuff away on the street. Uh, and just week in, week out, being known and knowing a bunch of people who can pray for them and they can pray for them and so on. So it really is a place to grow. And... Um, we hope that in due course you get involved there. We're a people who prioritise the Word of God, and from the beginning we have sought to value what God is communicating to us through the Scriptures. In teaching the Bible, the way I will attempt to do so, we'll give a, like, a sermon or a talk, whatever it is, and the idea is that at the end, a legitimate question that you can ask yourself is, so what? So what does that mean for me? How does that apply to me? What do I walk out of here with? maybe a fresh understanding you need to file in order to use later, or maybe some action you need to take in, in the immediate in your own um, Christian walk. James 1.22, I love the book of James, he says this, don't merely listen to the word, but do what it says. Uh, the RSV, I prefer, be doers of the word, not hearers only. And I hope that we'll be people who are doers of the word. We'll, we'll come to whatever meeting, we'll hear the word of God, share, talk, and then we'll do something with it. Um, and as a result, we want to be a people whose lives are shaped by God's Word, conforming to the likeness of Christ and being equipped to live effective lives in the world. Another thing we prioritize is the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit. In our gatherings, we have an expectation of God's presence, and so we leave room for Him to speak through prophecy, to minister healing through the laying on of hands, and to empower us for mission. So, fifthly, our priority is training. And we believe that we should be constantly training to do the works of Jesus. We want to develop leaders. In order to build something more than a crowd, we need leaders to lead, and we need, in due course, leaders to lead those leaders. And so there'll be opportunities to grow in leadership. There'll also be excellent training. We have a, a heritage in the vineyard of just excellent leadership development training. The last priority we talked about in those four meetings was sending. As part of God's church, we believe that he's given us a purpose. We get to participate in God's mission. 
to make disciples and teach them all that Jesus has taught us. We're a people, we come together, not so that we can just become a holy huddle and stay together. This is not the end of church. This is where we get fueled up to go and be sent out. An important part of being sent out is to plant churches. At the time of this recording in 2019, we have planted 12 new vineyard churches across the country. John said this about church planting in the original recording. We're also very committed, as I said before, to planting new churches. Uh, we're looking for people like us, people like ourselves, and we want to provide for them a church life which reflects the values we talked about last week. Um, anything which is alive will reproduce. We don't, again, exist to be the Trent Vineyard, and that's it. We exist to be the Trent Vineyard, which will plant other churches um, down the track. We're not in a rush to do it in the next couple of months, but you know, over the years, there'll be leaders who rise up and, and so on, uh, with experience and gifting sufficient to be sent out. And uh, we need to give away our best. We need, we need to give away capable leaders who we could really do with not giving away. People we've grown to know, people we've grown to love, unselfishly giving them away for the purpose of them creating something like this. I mean, it's simply creating a church in which they can other people can receive the blessings that we receive here. So as we come to the end of this recording, you'll recall that I initially used the analogy of a bus in 1996 to describe the journey we were embarking upon. At the time I said, this is going to be a challenging ride because we don't want to stay where we are. We want to be people who are changing and we want to be embracing where the Lord brings us. Reflecting back, this has certainly been true. Whilst the journey has been challenging, it's also been a wonderful adventure with the Lord in getting to be part of what he has done. Hopefully you've seen that our vision and values have remained consistent and there's still an invitation for you to become involved or get on the bus to use the language I used then. If you'd like to know more or if you'd like to join the church, then you'd be most welcome to come to one of our three Sunday services at our warehouse. For service times and if you don't know how to find us, have a look at our website, trentvineyard.org. Once you arrive, you might like to head to the left-hand side of our auditorium under the large Connect sign where you'll find our friendly Connect team members who will be very happy to talk with you. You can find out about our newcomers meals that we hold about once a month, about our small groups that meet across Nottingham and beyond, and about serving on a team. You can also find out about how to be part of this church by giving a portion of your income. Again, all of this information can be found on the website. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed hearing these Vision and Values recordings. If you'd like to hear more about how we're pursuing the vision right now as a church, check out the podcast from John's most recent Vision Talk back in February. If you'd like to hear more of John and Debbie's personal story or get involved in Trent, then we'd love you to join us at one of our newcomers' meals. You can sign up for the next meal at our Connect area after any of our Sunday services.